To say that the United States has grown exponentially since its founding in 1776 would be a gross understatement. What began as 13 colonies in British America in the 18th century has grown to encompass 50 states and 16 overseas territories by the 21st century. Some of that land was bought, as were the Louisiana Purchase and the Mexican Cession. Others were annexed, like Hawaii and Puerto Rico. And of course, much of it was taken directly from the nation's original inhabitants, who at one point were comprised of nearly 600 tribes in the continent. U.S. alone. Of the 50 states, however, how many can lay claim to being formerly independent nations? It's a little-known fact, but there are a total of five current states that began their existence as separate countries. Hawaii was the first and the oldest of the lot, having been separate island kingdoms until they were united as one in 1810 by King Kamehameha after centuries of infighting. Vermont is next, having lasted through the Revolutionary War as the Vermont Republic between January 1777 and March 1791. California, too, was a republic four years before its statehood, albeit for a mere 25 days, following the Bear Flag Revolt in 1846, during which time its settlers rebelled against Mexican authority. Oregon was tossed between British and American sovereignty so many times throughout the early 19th century that it served as its own independent entity between 1811 and 1846. And then there's the subject of today's episode, which for a nine-year period between 1836 and 1845 was the most famous country within a country in American history. To look at Texas on a map, one can only marvel at its size. The second largest state in the Union, after Alaska, it boasts a history as rich and complex as the mixed backgrounds that make up its population. Annexed by the United States in 1845, it became a U.S. state that same year, though it had a long and complex history before it ever entered statehood. How and why was the Republic of Texas founded? Who were the people who led it through its brief time as an independent nation? And why did it eventually agree to become a U.S. state? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Among the many commercials I remember from my childhood, one that really stood out to me was one that promoted travel to Texas, presenting a dizzying yet dazzling array of colorful sights and attractions together in a 30-second clip. It concluded with a phrase that puzzled me for years after. When you're here, it's like a whole other country. I never understood what it meant until at least middle school, when I learned for the first time that Texas had, in fact, been a wholly different country, independent from both the United States and Mexico, for nearly a decade in the 19th century. But what led to it becoming its own nation in the first place? To answer that question, we must travel back to the year 1821, when a document known as the Treaty of Cordoba was signed, thus officially recognizing Mexico's independence from Spain after 11 years of fighting and struggle. This was followed by the Plan of Iguala, which established Mexico as its own sovereign state. It was during this time that a group of American settlers known as the Old 300 under the leadership of one Stephen F. Austin negotiated with the country's first leader, Agustin de Iturbide, for the right to settle in Texas, which was then under the fledgling nation's jurisdiction. Though Iturbide granted Austin and his men permission to do so, tensions between the settlers and Mexican authorities quickly arose. No sooner had the old 300 settled into their new environment did other similar factions following Austin's lead begin to arrive, mostly from the American South. Spurred on by the success of plantations in states like Georgia and Mississippi, as well as a rise in the price of cotton, these later groups of what were known as empresarios insisted on using slave labor to maintain their land and crops. The problem was that Mexico had outlawed slavery in 1829. Working around this mandate, the Southern impresarios instead brought their own slaves from the United States and drew up long-term indentured servitude contracts for them. This naturally enraged the Mexican government and did nothing to quell their already deep-rooted fears. 
1830, they had grown concerned by the increasingly American presence in Texas. They feared invasion and annexation by the United States would be next, and immediately placed restrictions against further immigration from there. Troops were called in, but... By June 1832, the American settlers had driven them out of the eastern half of the state. Something had to be done, on both sides. On October 1st of that year, a group of 55 delegates met in the small frontier town of San Felipe in a convention to petition for changes in Mexico's governance of the state. They elected Stephen F. Austin as their representative and go-between. He and his constituents proposed that Mexico lift the immigration restrictions on Americans, permission to form an armed militia, a three-year exemption from military and customs enforcements, and most importantly, a bid for independent statehood. Though the petition was drawn up, it and the convention were deemed illegal, as such forms of protest weren't permitted at the time, and were thus given over to the Ayuntamiento, or local city council, who, using similar language, drew up a new petition to make it official and send it through the proper legal channels. In turn, it was forwarded to the governor of Texas, Ramon Musquiz, who himself brought it to the attention of the Mexican government. Over a year later, in November 1833, the restriction on American immigration to Texas was lifted, and the state's constituents were given more representation in the Mexican legislature. American legal concepts were introduced to the state as well, including trial by jury, and English was recognized as an official secondary language. But some Texans, not satisfied with this outcome, continued to push for independence, the tensions of which would gradually reach a fever pitch two years later. By 1835, the rift between the Mexican government and their American and Tejano, that is, Texans of Mexican descent, subjects in Texas, had grown quite apparent. Fearing open rebellion, they gradually increased military presence in the state throughout 1834 and early 1835. Then, in October of that year, Mexican President Antonio López de Santa Ana reneged on the nation's constitution and instead consolidated power under his own leadership. His first order of business was to split Texas into two separate jurisdictions. Seeing this as an act of aggression, the settlers under the authority of Stephen F. Austin organized themselves into an armed militia, and, on October 2nd, the first shots of what's become known as the Texas Rebellion rang out in the small town of Gonzales, about 74 miles, or 119 kilometers east of San Antonio. A month later, a provisional government was established by Austin and his constituents. Known as the Consultation, it opposed what they saw as Santa Ana's abuse of power. The first steps toward Texas independence had been taken. Over the course of the next four months, intense fighting between the Mexican military and the Texan rebels would stain the land blood red. During that time, the Texas Convention of 1836 was formed, though they remained indecisive as to whether they'd break away from Mexico entirely or simply uphold the Mexican Constitution, which Santa Ana had all but abandoned. But then something happened which directed them down the path towards complete independence. While the convention was in full swing, the most critical moment of the Texan Revolution, the Battle of the Alamo, was raging in what's now San Antonio. After a 13-day siege in which Texans of both American and Tejano heritage alike had held the Alamo mission, Mexican troops under the orders of President Santa Ana brutally and savagely slaughtered them all. This caused an outrage amongst the delegates, who quickly declared themselves independent from Mexico. Spurred by the bloodlust for revenge, Texan forces led by General Sam Houston valiantly fought back nearly two months later during the Battle of San Jacinto on April 21, 1836. In a skirmish that lasted all of 18 minutes, Santa Ana and his army surrendered to Houston and his men. On September 5th that same year, Houston was sworn in as the first president of the newly formed Republic of Texas. At long last, after years of struggle and fighting, the Texans had a country all their own. 
By now, you're probably wondering what the fledgling nation's government was like. Perhaps not surprisingly, after their harsh treatment by the Mexican government, they fashioned themselves more on the American model of democracy. No sooner had Sam Houston been sworn into office was an official constitution drafted. Houston himself served as president for two years, but each of the successive leaders were granted three-year terms. To vote or hold office, one had to have been born in and a citizen of Texas. Five places served as the nation's temporary capital in 1836 before it was quote-unquote permanently established in the then-new city of Houston in 1837. Two years later, it was relocated to the brand-new city of Austin, where it has remained even into United States statehood. There was also a Congress of 14 senators and 29 representatives, which oversaw the writing and drafting of all new laws as well as the discussion of issues which might affect the new country. Texas even had its own currency, the bills of which were divided into three, five, ten, 20, 50, and $100 denominations. Though tiny in comparison to its neighbors to the north and south respectively, it boasted its own military, which vigorously and valiantly defended its borders from the likes of both Mexico and hostile Native American tribes, such as the Comanche, the latter with whom they had a number of skirmishes and negotiations. It was President Houston who made peace with them, but his successor, Mirabeau B. Lamar, reversed the policies, leading to all-out war between Texas and the Comanche Nation until 1841, when both sides agreed to make peace. Texan politics were, much like those of the United States, namely bipartisan. There were two main factions that had representation in the government, the Nationalist Faction and the Annexation Faction. The former, led by attorney and second president Mirabeau B. Lamar, advocated for ongoing independence for the Republic, the expansion of the country's sovereignty to the Pacific Ocean to the West, and the expulsion of all Native Americans. The latter, led by President Houston, called for the eventual annexation of Texas by the United States and coexistence with the Native Americans when possible. These two ideologies would often butt heads within Congress, though both gained virtually an equal amount of support as proven by the 1844 election, when nearly 50% of people supported the nationalist candidate, Edward Burleson, while the other half lent its support to Anson Jones, the annexation candidate. Though the new nation was officially recognized by the likes of the United States, Britain, and France, Mexico remained vigilant in their refusal to acknowledge them as such, no doubt embittered by their crushing defeat by Texan forces six years prior. On March 5, 1842, 500 Mexican troops under the command of General Rafael Vázquez invaded the country for the first time since the Texas Revolution and briefly occupied San Antonio. On September 11th that same year, an army of 1,400 Mexican soldiers led by General Adrián Wall launched a second offensive on San Antonio. A Texan militia quickly fought back, though another militia nearby, comprised of 53 men, were brutally massacred upon their surrender. Though Mexico never again attempted an assault on independent Texas soil, the nation was nonetheless on high alert. For nine years, Texas enjoyed its status as a republic. In that time, it had had four presidents, Sam Houston twice, though not consecutively, Mirabeau B. Lamar once, and Anson Jones once, and had accomplished quite a bit in making a name for itself on the world stage. But then, on February 28, 1845, the United States Congress passed a bill that authorized the annexation of the sovereign state. The following day, then-U.S. President John Tyler signed it into effect, making it official. U.S. legislation set the date of annexation for December 29, of that year. In light of this news, the British and French ministers to Texas, Charles Elliott and Alphonse de Saligny, respectively, were dispatched to Mexico City by their respective governments. There they met with the Mexican Foreign Secretary and signed a diplomatic act in which Mexico at last offered to officially recognize Texas as an independent nation, with borders determined by British and French mediation. Anson Jones, the last serving Texan president, forwarded both propositions to an elected convention in the capital at Austin, specially chosen for the occasion. 
In the end, the offer by the United States won out with only one opposing vote. So it was that, on December 29, 1845, Texas was not only annexed, but became the 28th state in the Union. But why exactly did Texas more or less unanimously accept the United States' offer of annexation? Well, for starters, the Texan government had, in its brief life, incurred a great deal of debt. As incentive to join the Union, the U.S. federal government offered $10 million in federal bonds, the equivalent of over $32 million today, to get them out of their financial pickle. Also in the agreement, Texas was allowed to uphold the practice of slavery, a factor that would reveal their allegiance during the Civil War 16 years later. They seceded with 10 other states to form the Confederacy. In addition, in addition, the benefits of having U.S. military might and protection was simply too good to pass up, especially when it came to clashes with Mexico and hostile Native Americans. Though the era of Texas independence has long since come to a close, the people as well as the state itself still enjoy a unique identity and spirit that's virtually unmatched anywhere else in America. With a rich blend of American and Tejano cultures and traditions and a complex history to boot, it's no wonder that that commercial from my childhood proudly stated, when you're here, it's like a whole other country. It was for a time, and its fighting spirit lives on within the hearts of its proud populace. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear and would like to support this podcast to ensure future quality content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button. There you'll find three monthly support plans to choose from. Any and all contributions are greatly appreciated, and I thank you for your continued love and support of my podcast. Be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.